Well, we have, uh, again this morning, um, rich, rich fare uh, in front of us in God's Word. We've been uh, working our way through the book of Romans, uh, really taking our time through, uh, through the whole letter, and especially, I think, through this eighth chapter, because uh, there, there's such rich truth here for us to really sink our, our minds into, sink our hearts into, let it really pierce down, uh, sink down deeply into who we are, and change the way we live, right? We need God's Word to, to break through to us, to change the way we think, to change the way we live, to transform us. And so we come this morning to verses 26 and 27 uh, of Romans 8, but uh, we'll actually pick up back in verse 18. So Please follow along and uh, listen carefully as we give our attention to God's Word. Paul writes that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Well, throughout Romans 8, the Apostle Paul is helping us to understand the richness of what it means to belong to Jesus Christ, to be bound up with him, to be united to him in a way that is completely inseparable. And it, it's, it's so rich, I think, in part because Paul doesn't address what it means to be a Christian. He doesn't talk about the identity of the Christian in some idealized way. But in fact, he says, if you, need to under, if you want to understand, and you need to, what it means to belong to Jesus Christ... You need to understand not only the privileges that are yours in him, but you also need to understand your place in history, where you are in time, and what it means to be in Christ and also in this world, in this body, in these trials, in these sufferings, while you're still waiting for his return. We need to know the privileges that belong to us in Jesus, right? You you need to individually, and we need to together always be rehearsing 
the truth of the gospel that is for us in Jesus Christ. We always need to be remembering that I've been brought out of my sin and I've been placed into the kingdom of Jesus. And that just as God loves his son, so he loves me. That there's no condemnation for me because Christ has borne it for me. That there's no separation for me because God has taken hold of me and will never let me go. I'm justified, I'm sanctified, and being sanctified, I'm adopted, I'm a child of God, I will be glorified. All these great privileges that Paul's been unpacking and rehearsing throughout this letter. But we also have to know our place in history. That though I've been brought into the kingdom of God, that kingdom has not yet reached its full glory. It's not been consummated. So I wait, and you wait, and we wait, and we live by faith, not by sight, yet. And we long for Christ's appearing. And so Paul is stressing that we have to know both our our privileges and our place in history. And we especially need to have this straight when suffering enters your life. When suffering enters my life. In fact, somebody wisely said at our staff meeting this last week, it needs to be locked down and in place, deeply growing way before that suffering actually hits you. You don't wait for the suffering to come and then turn to God for strength. But Paul is saying, when that moment comes, you need to have been deeply rooted in the privileges that are yours in Jesus Christ, deeply rooted in an understanding of where you are in history as you wait for his return. Because honestly, how else are you going to wait, as Paul says at the end of the passage that Hal preached a couple weeks ago, how else are you going to wait patiently in, in suffering? How else are you going to rejoice in suffering? How else are you going to bear fruit and kindly serve others even as you yourself are being afflicted? How in the world is that going to happen in your life? Unless your mind and heart are so filled with the privileges, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm his and he's mine. And though I'm waiting for him, he is coming. Well, Paul is saying in verses 18 through 25... That as Christians, we can endure suffering because we have a hope that awaits us, right? We have a hope and glory that awaits us that far outweighs whatever you might suffer in this life. It is a wonderful thing that I can stand here and say to you, that Hal can stand here and say to you, that we can stand and say to one another, whatever you may suffer in this life, the glory that awaits you in Jesus Christ far outweighs them all, infinitely outweighs any of of it. And so you can endure it patiently and with joy because you know that your Redeemer lives and that you're part of a kingdom that will never fade away. And so Paul's been stressing this. He's been hammering at it. He's been stressing it because he knows that you and I, just as the Christians in Rome needed it, that you need to hear this. And then here in verses 26 and 27, it's amazing. The only two verses this morning, and still, you know, last night I'm just trimming and cutting and There's so much here because Paul is saying just as you can endure suffering patiently because you have the hope of glory that awaits you as a believer in Jesus Christ, so in your weakness you have one who indwells you, who helps you, who ministers to you, who cares for you in ways, as we'll see, that are just absolutely amazing. So just as the hope of glory sustains us in our suffering, so the ministry of the Spirit within us sustains us in our weakness. I want us to look at this really just under two headings. 
And the first is this. You see it at the very beginning of verse 26. The first point is this. The Holy Spirit helps you, child of God, in your weakness. That's a very simple proposition, and we really need to unpack it. The Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness. Now, the Scriptures speak elsewhere of the Holy Spirit as a helper. Uh, Jesus himself in John's Gospel, John 16, verse 7, is speaking to his disciples about his coming departure. And he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the one who helps the people of God. So it's not a new idea to think of the Holy Spirit as the one who helps God's people. But what's so striking about this, I think, is when does he help you? When is it that the Holy Spirit helps you? When is it that you experience the benefit of his help? It's not when you're strong. It's not when things are going great. It's not when you're doing great things for God. It's when you are what? Weak. It is when you're weak. It's in your weakness that he helps you. Now, I don't need to convince you of your weakness, do I? Do any of us need to be convinced? We certainly need to be reminded But do we need to be convinced that we're weak? We're weak in every way. Are you weak in temptation and you fall easily? Are you weak in suffering and you you bail, you, you become anxious, you become angry, you become fretful? You're weak in suffering. We're quick to come to the end of our rope, quick to be overwhelmed, quick to be confused, quick to be ignorant and foolish, quick to need help. We're weak. And this is precisely how the Holy Spirit ministers to us. In our weakness, He helps us. He helps us. Now, word, the word here that Paul uses for help is an interesting word without going into a lot of detail. It only occurs two places in the New Testament. It's this long, compound Greek word. It's, it's the verb to, to take up or to carry with two prefixes stuck on the front of it. And the idea is this. You've got a heavy burden. And you can't carry it on your own. You can't bear it. You can't lift it. And along comes a friend. And the friend stands on the other end of this burden, along on the other side of this, this weight that you must carry. And he, he lifts as you lift. And he makes that burden his own. And he carries it with you. And he walks with you so that you can carry what you couldn't have carried on your own. It's a beautiful picture. It's the same word that when Martha and Mary are with Jesus and Mary is sitting at his feet and Martha is busy serving and serving and she finally has had enough and says, Lord, will you please do what? Tell her to help me. Tell her to bear this load with me. It's precisely that that the Holy Spirit does for us in our weakness. It's a word that was used in the ancient world to to talk about the sick or, or infants and the help that must be given to hold them up because they don't have the strength to hold themselves up. It's a wonderful word. It's a, it's a gentle word. It's a strong word. It's a profound word. Because the idea is that the Holy Spirit sees you in your weakness. Do you, do you sometimes wonder, does God even see me? Has he forgotten me? 
Oh, God sees you in your weakness if you're his child. He sees you, and not only does he see you, but he knows your weakness, and he has no intention ever of leaving you there in your weakness. Because what Paul is saying here is that God, the Holy Spirit, comes to meet you in your weakness. He steps up under your burden with you. He comes alongside you. He, he bears up your burden. It makes it his own. It makes it his business to help you carry the load. Now, let me ask you this. this. Paul says he helps us in our weakness, and he doesn't define weakness. It's his general word. It, it includes everything. It's very broad. Now, think about yourself and your own weakness. How often when you're feeling your weakness, when you're becoming more clearly aware of how weak and, and needy you are, how dependent you are, how often do you find that you slip into self-pity, that you slip into anxiety, that you begin to come bitter, that those seeds of bitterness begin to grow, that you just withdraw into yourself? Or maybe it's just sort of garden variety grumpiness. Do you know where that comes from? you know where that stuff is rooted? It's a functional belief that I'm alone, that God is not present, that God is not involved, that his will is not being done, that things are slipping away. And what Paul says here speaks directly into all of that, all of those things that we struggle with, all of those things that if we're awake, we can see in our lives. What Paul says here about the ministry of God to his children speaks directly into those things because he is saying to us, child of God, do you see that your God is with you? That when you're weak, then you're actually strong because then in your weakness, you're primed. You're actually positioned so that you can experience the redeeming, loving, gracious presence and power of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We spend so much of our lives and we're so creative about escaping weakness, aren't we? Avoiding weakness, escaping weakness, denying weakness, compensating for weakness, and yet... Paul is saying, oh, child of God. And I think it's wonderful that you children have been addressed very specifically this morning. God says, oh, dear children, you are weak, but I am with you in your weakness. I come to help you in your weakness. You do not bear your burden alone. You bear it along with me, and I bear it along with you. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. And it's interesting that Paul... Paul speaks, I I think he's speaking emphatically here. He says, it's the Spirit himself. He uses this emphatic language. It's the Spirit himself who comes to help us. In other words, who is it that's helping you? Let's Let's not just let these words bounce off of your brain, bounce off of your ears. Who is it that's helping you? It's the third person of the Trinity. It's God himself. It's the Spirit of God. It's the same spirit who was involved in the creation of the universe. He's the one who hovered over the face of the deep, we read in Scripture, who brought beauty and order out of chaos and nothingness. Let me ask you, can he help you? This is the spirit who who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul has just said, this is the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Can he sustain you in your weakness? This is the spirit who regenerates dead sinners, brings to life those who are dead in their sins. He's the spirit of resurrection and of life and of power. Can he carry you through? I dare you to say no. He can help you. He can sustain you. 
He can carry you through. And precisely, it's precisely that that he's come to do, Paul says. I think some of you, no doubt some of you here, you know Jesus Christ, you love him, you want to serve him, and yet what's happened in your lives over a period of days or weeks or months or years is that you're, you're sort of teetering and wobbling in your weakness. And your, eyes have got, your eyes have gotten turned away from God. You're, they've been turned away from his love for you, from his strength for you, at work in you. You've forgotten promises like this, and you've begun to harbor thoughts of, of your loneliness and of God's neglect of you and your hopelessness and your despair. And if that's what you're thinking this morning, I want you to see here that the Spirit who helps believers in Jesus Christ, the Spirit who helps is the Spirit of Christ. And that means that He'll help you in a way that's Christ-like. That He won't break you when you're already bruised. That He won't snuff you out when you're smoldering and flickering and weak. That He'll bind you up. That He'll tend to you. That He'll shepherd you gently. That He'll love you and help you like a shepherd would see His neediest, weakest sheep and not run up to Him and smack Him and tell Him to hurry up but pick him up in his hands and tend to him and care for him and gently restore him to the flock. That this is the way that Christ deals with you as his sheep. This is the way the Spirit of Christ deals with you as he comes to help you in your weakness. So I want to say to you in all of this, if you are sensing your own weakness, which you have to, it's the place where you begin to experience the grace and power of God each day, each week, each year of your life, as you sense your weakness to hear that, oh, it's in my weakness that the Spirit comes to minister to me, to help me. It's in my weakness that I know His strength. It's in my weakness that I know His love. And then gradually, in some way, in various ways, my weakness becomes not something I'm always trying to escape and get out of and compensate for, but it becomes what I boast in. Because it's in that weakness that the Spirit is is there, presently helping That God, by His Spirit, is there helping, comforting, tending, saving, and loving. There's a great quote on the front of your bulletin from John Calvin. You may not have ever read any John Calvin, but you've probably heard of him in any way. Here's what he says about this, the Spirit's help. It's beautiful. As experience shows that except we are supported by God's hands, we are soon overwhelmed by innumerable evils. Paul reminds us that though we are in every respect weak and various infirmities threaten our fall, there is yet sufficient protection in God's spirit to preserve us from falling and to keep us from being overwhelmed by any mass of evils. Whatever you're facing, there is more than enough in God. Whatever you're facing, there is more than enough in the Spirit. And He's not just out there somewhere. He's helping you in your weakness. And then as Paul goes on, I think really what he does for the, for the, for the remainder of this section, these two little verses, he's saying, first, the Spirit helps you in your weakness. The Spirit helps you in your weakness. And then everything else he says is an example of that. Because he says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And so the second point really is just an illustration of the first, an unpacking of the first. And it's this. Not only does the Spirit help us in our weakness, he helps you when you're so weak that you don't even know how to pray. So take that as an example of weakness. Sometimes you don't know what to pray for, do you? 
there's something in your own life or there's something in a friend's life and they share that need with you and your heart is deeply moved by that need, you, you immediately want to say, we need to take this to the Lord together. We need to pray. I, I want to pray for you. And then very quickly you realize, I don't even know what to ask. I don't even know how to present this need. Maybe I don't know what God ought to do, what I think he ought to do. Maybe I can't even articulate the need. That's weakness, isn't it? God in his strength knows everything, and he knows everything that ought to happen. In fact, he's ordained everything that happens. He's strong. We're weak. We don't often even know what to ask for. Sometimes it can be frustrating as a parent of young children Your child can be crying and upset and you ask, what's wrong? What's wrong? How can I help? I don't know. I don't even know. I can't even express to you why I'm so sad. I can't even express to you my need. And often we find ourselves in that position. And the Holy Spirit, Paul says here, he helps you in that situation. He helps you. He ministers to you right at that moment. And what does he do? He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. In verse 34, which we'll look at in a few weeks, Paul says that that Jesus intercedes for you, doesn't he? That Jesus sits at God's right hand, the place of power and honor and authority, and he intercedes for you. He intercedes for you at the right hand of God. How, How amazing to know as you're weak, as you struggle, that you have an intercessor. You have the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God for you, where he, Hebrews says, always lives to intercede for his people. I read a pastor who once said, if I, think of, let, me, let me just put it this way, what if we could hear in this fellowship hall back here, what if occasionally you could hear Jesus Christ praying for you? What if in your home, Or as you go about your life, you could hear Jesus in the next room praying for you, pleading for you before the Father. What effect would that have on you? I think it would strengthen you. I think it would embolden you and give you courage and great joy. His prayers are no less real for you than that. And so Paul is saying that Jesus intercedes for us, but that's not all. Imagine that. That's not all. (laughs) Because he says here that in your weakness the Holy Spirit himself also intercedes for you. I was talking to a friend this week who's been under an unusually heavy uh, load, particularly aware of his weakness and his need. And he said to several of us who'd been praying for him that though it would have been easy for him to become overwhelmed and discouraged, knowing that we've been praying for him has has helped him. It's, It's given him strength. It's been a great encouragement to him. I think you you know that from your own experience. Many of you, when you have a brother or a sister in the Lord who's praying for you, who's interceding for you, it is a sweet, sweet blessing to be treasured. But what Paul tells us here is even infinitely better than that. Because he says you have, as believers in Christ, you have two divine intercessors. You have in heaven the Lord Jesus Christ interceding for you at the right hand of God. And you have within yourself as a believer the Holy Spirit who intercedes for you. An intercessor in the court of heaven and and an intercessor in your own heart, in your own self. 
And when you're too weak to know what to pray for, and you cry out to God, Father, Father, help. Father, I don't know what to ask you for. Will you please come and help? The Spirit himself is interceding for you. Now let me ask you this question. Should that not keep you from losing heart, from worrying, from living in fear? Because you know that even the need you cannot express, God has taken up as his own cause. Because he loves you. And notice what Paul says about the Spirit's intercession. That he, groan, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There are, three, there are three groans in Romans 8. There's groaning coming up from three different places. Three different locations in Romans 8. You see it in verse 22. That the whole creation groans because it's broken. It's out of joint. It's fallen. It's waiting for its restoration. The whole creation groans. The whole earth is, is not right. It's groaning out. And then Christians groan. Groaning is not out of place in the Christian life. It, Paul says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Christians groan because we long for the redemption of our bodies. It was so encouraging several of us to talk with, with Roscoe this week in the hospital and, and for him with a smile on his face to say, ah, oh, the best is yet to come. There's suffering, there's hardship, there's affliction. The redemption of my body awaits. Christians groan. And then there's this other groaning here. There's this third groaning. And it's the Holy Spirit himself. It's the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with, with wordless groanings. Now, what is this? What is going on here? Very simply this. When you're too weak to express your need, you have a helper who is yours, who is perfectly able to express that need for you before the presence of God. I, I don't know how to say it any better than that. I, I, it's absolutely amazing. That when you, in your weakness, don't even know what you need, you don't even know what your brother or sister needs, you don't know what your spouse or your child or your friend, you don't know what they need, God, I, I don't know what to say. He's saying to you, I know that you don't know what to say. But I've given you the Spirit who knows what to say. And he's interceding for you now. And I'm hearing him now. And I'm answering him. Amazing. And Paul goes on to say that this intercession, he says, even though it's wordless, it's not meaningless to God. He who searches hearts, that's God the Father. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me, let me talk about a parent and a child again. Think of a parent who, <clears throat> who knows what this mother, knows what her baby needs. She knows what this child needs even though the child can't express the need. The mother knows. The baby's frustrated and upset and needy and, and nobody else in the room, all you hear is, you know, all you hear is groaning, complaining, crying, fussing, 
it's, it means nothing to you, but in comes the mother and exactly what that child needs, the mother provides. That's an amazing thing to see. And that's exactly the way the Spirit ministers to God's people. The Father knows your need. He knows your heart. He's seen your heart. He sees your need. He sees what you can't even express. He cares for you even before you knew you needed to be cared for. He knows your heart. And he also knows the mind of the Spirit, Paul says. He, he receives the intercession of the Spirit. How do we know that? Because the Spirit prays for you according to the will of God. Now, you may have lots of people pray for you. I, I've had a lot of people in my life who've prayed for me. But not one of those people who's ever prayed for you has ever perfectly known the will of God. There is one who intercedes for you who perfectly knows the will of God and prays for you according to the will of God. And God hears that prayer and will answer it because God always does his will. Oh, this is so... Remember, Paul is writing to us to remind us that, yes, you belong to Christ, but don't forget that you belong to Christ in a world that has fallen where there will be suffering and weakness and you will be tempted to turn away. You will be tempted to doubt. You will be tempted to lose heart. And he's just piling one thing on the other, one thing on the other to say, oh, don't lose heart. Never lose heart because you see the spirit who lives within you. You can't help yourself. The spirit helps you. You don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for you. You don't know what God's will is. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know what the outcome should be, but the Spirit prays for you according to God's will. Well, let me, let me ask you this. In your weakness, well, let me, let me ask you this first question. Do you think you're not, maybe some of you here have not seen your weakness, or maybe you've just tried to mask it. Maybe you've just tried to conceal it and deal with it. And what you should have done all along is say, oh God, I, I have nothing. I'm weak. I, I've tried all my life. I've tried to do it. I've tried and 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 I still have not done it. And maybe what God's finally doing with you in his own way is stripping away all those layers of self-reliance and finally saying, when you learn to sit down and say, I can't do it, Will you help me that he reveals himself to be a God who speeds to the rescue of the weak, who speeds to help the helpless? So there may be some of you here this morning who still haven't heard that, and I, and I, I hope you see, and I hope you hear from this text what God is like, what a picture of God this presents to us. And to get a vision of what it means to be his child by faith, to belong to him, to belong to a God who is like this toward his children. And you can, by faith alone in Christ. But what about all of you brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ, fellow Christians? What, what about in your own weakness? Are you remembering? Have you been remembering these things? Has this been a good reminder to you? Does this help clarify for you some of the things you're experiencing? Does it help you look through different lenses at some of the things that are going on in your life? That you have a helper within you who will never leave you in your weakness? That he'll always bear the burden with you? That he'll always intercede for you? 
that he'll always meet you and give you exactly what you need, even when you don't know exactly what you need. I think if all of these things are true, and they are true, if all of these things are true, if God does all of these things for you, he will never leave any one of his children, not one, not even the weakest. Never. He will never leave you. He will never, never leave you. So you may not be able to figure it all out. You, you, you may still be left wondering, what is God doing? Why, why, why is he doing it this way? How long, Lord? There will be things you don't understand about his providence, about your circumstances, about your own weakness. But what do you know? What do you know? What can you know for certain in the midst of all the things that are uncertain? You can know for sure that the Father loves me, that the Son died for me, and that the Spirit helps me in my weakness. That's good news. That is wonderful news. The Father loves me. The Son died for me. The Spirit helps me in my weakness. So, are you going to turn aside? Are you going to fall away? Are you going to give up? Are you going to lose heart? Are you going to have a word of encouragement for one another? That last one is a yes and the other ones are no. <laughs> There's a great, one of the great hymns and we sing it sometimes. Jesus, I, my cross have taken. One of those verses says, Think what spirit dwells within thee. What a father's smile is thine. What the Savior died to win thee. Child of heaven, shouldst thou repine? And the answer is no. Not ever. Not ever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your grace to us, your love to us in Christ. Thank you for speaking these words of encouragement and promise to us, of help and intercession at the moment of our deepest weakness. Lord, we cry out to you. Show us our weakness. Keep us in that place of weakness. And remind us, remind us, remind us, and show us each day that you are helping us in our weakness. Teach us to trust on you, to fall on you, to hope in you, to boast in you. As we come to the table of the Lord, we thank you that what you promise in your word, you seal and confirm here in this, in this sacrament. Strengthen us, Lord. Build us up. We are weak. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.